I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Red alert. All hands stand to battle stations. Luck as foils attack positions. Prepare for battle! Autobots, roll out! Get ready, it's your weekly dose of nerd culture. All wings report in. With your crew, Obi-John Kenobi. Hello there. Commander Scott. There's nothing amazing about it. I know this ship like the back of my hand. Julian. You tell him I'm coming! And hell's coming with me, you hear? And the Doc. Great Scott! Movies, TV, streaming, video games, comic books, board games, toys, collectibles, cosplay, conventions. If it's happening in the world of geekdom, we're talking about it. So lock and load, bag and board, and roll for initiative. We've got your... Nerd Alert! Hello there, I'm Obi John Kenobi, your favorite host in all the podcasting, and welcome to an all-new Nerd Alert. Boy, have we got something special today. It's a short topic I've been pitching for a while, and my co-host gracious enough to finally just say, fine, John, we'll do your stupid topic, uh, and, and acquiesce to me. It was very, very kind of them to let me do that, but we'll get to that in a minute. First, let me introduce to you who's going to help me break this down in in order, that might surprise you, because we're changing things up this week. So first, with today's nerd fat, let me introduce, joining us from somewhere in time and space, perhaps even a DeLorean, ladies and gentlemen, it's the Doc. So I'm going to learn you something today. Oh, did something come across your feed? It did. The TikTok, to be specific. Ah. And that that was like, ooh, I got to look up more because this is really funny and interesting. Uh, John, you know me pretty well. I'd like to think so. What's Best friend since '95. Than... Yeah, I think that's. If if somewhere somebody were to ask me, uh, Doc, what's better than one gun? Two guns. Right. So in that same vein, what's better than one barrel? Two barrels. Two barrels. So I'm not the only person that thought of this. Okay. I. I... I'm definitely not the first person to think, hey, more than one barrel is a good thing. Uh, so double barrel shotguns. You familiar with double barrel shotguns? I have. I am familiar with the concept, yes. Okay, it came out in the late 1800s, sometime around then. But before that, in so. 18... Let me just double check this date. No, in, no one cares. No one's going to double check your facts. It's fine. No, no. In 1862, okay... In 1862, a guy for the Confederacy had this idea. Not just a guy, okay? His name was John Gilliland, okay? Jingleheimer Schmidt. John Gilliland. He was a dentist, a builder, and a mechanic. And he said, you know what? You know what we need? We need a double-barrel cannon. That's what we need. Like artillery cannon? Like an artillery cannon, a double barrel cannon. It was cast as one piece, so it has just the the breech end is just one piece, and then it's two barrels off of that with three degrees of separation. Okay, so three degrees of divergence. 
The idea okay, behind okay. this. So the canon was in Glory with Denzel Washington, who was in... Uh, no, no, not that kind of separation. Sorry, my bad. No, no, no. So the idea was they loaded a cannonball into both barrels connected by a chain. And when they fired the cannon, both cannonballs would come out at the same time, pull the the chain taut, and just mow down enemies in front of them. Like a giant scythe cutting through a wheat field. Okay? Okay. That was the plan. (laughs) That doesn't sound ominous at all. (laughs) So they tested it three times. And John Gilliland described it as a successful failure. It failed, but it was successful. And he still tried to pitch it to the Confederate Army, saying, yes, we should do this. So the first time they fired it, they the barrels did not fire simultaneously. One discharged just a little bit before the other, causing the two cannonballs to spiral. Just a bit outside. So you get this giant cyclonic spiraling chain of mass destruction that did not go towards its intended target. Instead, it veered off and took out about an acre of cornfield. Not just took out the acre, but like plowed up the ground as well, just ripped it to shreds. So that's the real application. So they said, let's try this again. Let's give it another shot. We got this figured out. We got this timing thing down. Second time, they fired it at a swath of trees, like young evergreen trees. And an eyewitness said it was like somebody had just come in and chopped them down. And they're like, sweet, let's just do it one more time. Proof of concept, you know, third time's a charm. Unfortunately, that time, the chain broke immediately upon firing. One cannonball, because, you know, three degrees... One of them veered off and hit somebody's cottage and took out their chimney. The other struck a cow and killed it immediately. So on the third attempt, they did get a casualty. It was a cow. Um, well, that sounds for the cow. But the, the Confederate Army said, no, we're good. You can, you can use it as a signal cannon to say, hey, the Union Army's marching on us, but we're not going to use it in battle. He just not gonna happen so there's my that was my fun fact scott isn't there a navy um shot where it's two cannonballs with a chain to like take out masts or am i making that up from a movie no no um yeah uh chain shot was uh was used in 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 naval guns but unlike what he's describing here uh that was two cannonballs in one cannon right it was two cannonballs in one cannon yeah, yeah, they just they just double packed it into one barrel, because the whole one barrel, you know, the, the two barrels does add a whole degree of difficulty that's really not necessary. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so anyway, I I just and the the video I saw, the guy said this too, and I was like, yeah, but to be like a witness standing behind the cannon, not in front or like you know, but I guess. Witnesses said that people just went screaming and running for their lives, like upon further shooting of the cannon. And I... But they never developed it further as like a super fast way to just thrash corn. <laughs> no, apparently not. So, okay, there you go. There's my missed opportunity. <laughs> well, thanks, Doc. You learned us something. So, finishing out this terrible trio, ladies and gentlemen, the man who keeps the nerd and the t- nerdy to me. 
Welcome to the bridge, Commander Scott. Jay, Jay, Bubby, yeah. Bubby, listen to me. That was good. That was very good. But can I get something from you? I want to do it again, but I want you to do it a little faster. I want some more enthusiasm. All right. I mean, you were good. You were spot on, man. You were great. But I'm going to need you to pick it up just a little bit. I think it'll work beautifully. It'll play great with audiences if, if we have just a little bit more enthusiasm behind it. You understand? All right. Let's go. Everybody ready? Places. That was just. <laughs> That was Scott Cox as old Tommy director <laughs> with his riding crop and his megaphone getting back up on his chair. Uh, you, you, got, you guys didn't mean to shoot that cornfield over there? No, but it looked awesome on camera, so do it again. It did. It did. It worked great. It worked great. Can we can we reset that? Can we can we go back to one, everybody? Uh, Where'd the cow come? Who killed the cow? Yeah, can we, you tell the cannon to do it faster and more intense? Also, can we get a camera on that? Do we do we have anybody covering that sector? Do we do we are we good there? Please tell me you got that. Did we get we that? Got, we got a hot set. Uh, so yes, this week uh, my co-hosts were kind enough to acquiesce to my repeated requests. Uh, this week we are going to do a topic I've been pitching for a while. It's something that hit me. You know, we're all good ideas hit you on the pooper. Um, look. We're movie fans. We talk about movies a lot. Uh, some would say we talk about movies too much on a show that claims to talk about other stuff besides movies. We'll fix that, I promise. But when you watch a lot of movies, you start to become a fan of directors, the people who make the movies. And you start to form your favorite directors and your beloved directors. And, and, and there are certain directors who were as well-known as the stars in their films, a director whose name alone can get a film greenlit. But every once in a while, even good directors put out a stinker. And that's today's topic. We're here to discuss when good directors go bad, uh, the lesser hyped movies on certain people's filmographies, uh, filmmakers that have otherwise a very steady, very great track record. But for some reason, there's that one that just sticks out like a sore thumb. Um, that's what we're here to discuss today uh, and debate. And, and again, the criteria for this um, is very, very broad. What is it considered a bad movie? this is sort of like an essay question in school. As long as you can defend your answer, anything goes. So a beloved Oscar winning movie, but you hated it. Sure. Tell us why you didn't like it. We'll, we'll, we'll consider it. You know, there, there's no like, Oh, it had to have lost money or have a bad rotten tomato score. Nothing hard and fast like that. You didn't like the movie. As long as you can tell me why you didn't like the movie and why you consider it a stinker from that director, we'll take anything. Um, so you want to start things off? Okay. Okay. Otherwise, I was gonna say I volunteers tribute. I got one. Let me okay. let me let me fire this up because this is kind of a two. It is it is your topic anyway because you know. I want to do this for a while. Also, I'm very concerned that you already threw out that this is kind of a twofer because then it makes me nervous about one of the ones on my list. So me and Scott kind of talked a little bit before the show. I know me and Scott are going to bring up the same director, but we're bringing up two different movies from that same director. So again, fast and loose with the rules. We can repeat stuff. We can, we can, if I haven't, if I name a movie you want to talk about, jump in and add to it. Tell me why you didn't like it. If I name a director, but not the movie you want, whatever, we're just going to play this fast and loose. Um, this is this one hurts. Okay, seriously, it hurts, and that's why I want to do it first because it's kind of like ripping the bandaid off. This is a director who really has an impressive filmography. Uh, his his hits far outnumber his misses, even if some of his films took a while to really be appreciated. Um, 
So I'm going to start just by reading off what this director did up until the movie I want to talk about. Um, so starting in 1974 with the sci-fi movie Dark Star, follow that up with the movie that kind of got him known, shot on a low budget, huge return, great action movie, raw, raw low budget, balls to the wall, Assault on Precinct 13 from 1976, Halloween 1978, the Elvis TV movie where he met Kurt Russell 1979, The Fog 1980, Escape from New York 1981, the Thing, 1982, Christine, 1983, Starman, 1984, Big Trouble in Little China, 1986, The Man Was on Fire. I'm talking about John Carpenter. Uh, that's the movies leading up to the one I'm going to bring up, because those are all fantastic, seriously. Um, I may like some more than others, but those are that, that is a more solid resume you cannot find. And then it leads to a movie that I know in certain circles is considered a masterpiece, I own it. I have tried to watch it multiple times. I find it maybe the most boring movie ever made. I'm talking about 1987's Prince of Darkness from John Carpenter. Based on those looks, I'm guessing not a lot of people have seen this movie. That's fine. I'm prepared for that. Let me very quickly edit save. Okay. Here's the basic plot for this movie. Stop me when you get bored. A group of quantum physics students in Los Angeles are asked to assist a Catholic priest in investigating an ancient cylinder of liquid discovered in a monastery, which they come to find is a sentient liquid embodiment of Satan. Hang on. Sentient no. liquid on. embodiment of Satan. It's time. You're yes. telling me I've got Catholic priests and Catholic dogma, and quantum physicists dealing with students. Okay, but still, physicists, priests, church, evil? Why do I not love this movie? I already love this movie. I'll tell you that right now. Let me tell you why I don't love this movie. Scott, this might be the most boring movie I've ever tried to sit through. Nothing happens this entire goddamn movie. I'm sorry. I love Carpenter, but this was like, this was a total miss. Uh, Literally, your main villain in the basement of this monastery is this giant green liquid tube. It's like Zordon's evil cousin. It doesn't speak. It doesn't do anything. It can't do anything. It's a tube of green liquid. That's our big bad. That's so, our villain. So Soylent green is the devil. So they're trying to figure out the secret of the ooze. Oh, Oh, nice. <laughs> it features a likable cast because it's mostly people Carpenter had already worked with. But if you don't recognize those actors from other movies, I'm like, oh, it's so and so. I love that guy. You have no attachment or investment in any of these characters. They all they are all boring and bland, and you don't give a shit about any of them. The only person who's remotely interesting is Alice Cooper, who has a cameo as one of the homeless people outside the church that are drawn to the church. I think he has one of the only kills in the entire movie. Someone goes outside the church and gets shanked by a hobo. That hobo is Alice Cooper, who also did a song <laughs> for the soundtrack. That's the most interesting part of the whole movie. A hobo shanks a guy. Where is this, is this movie streaming? I want to watch this movie. Uh, I'll bring you a copy. Bring me this movie. I, I'd seen it when I was younger, and I was like, years later, 
I was like, okay, I, I must have been too young. I didn't quite get that because it's Carpenter. The man doesn't. The man's always on fire. So I bought it when I think it was Shout Factory or Scream Factory had the Steelbook Blu-ray on sale. I was like, I'm gonna pick that up. I gotta give it another watch. Surely I'm missing something. Since then, twice I have sat down. I'm like, I'm gonna watch this movie. I'm missing something. I, I, I've fallen asleep. It's it's, oh. it's the most boring movie ever uh it had a budget of 28 million dollars it only brought in oh sorry right that's a different movie um it's uh it it it's bad yeah, bad it's bad it's, uh, bad. it's, it's all the elements are there it's got the score and the setting and the actors and just, it never now now i i, I you know i haven't seen the movie I desperately want to see this movie now because of the setup that you've given me for it. It sounds like everything that I love in a movie. Well, not everything, but a lot of stuff I love in a movie. That I've failed. I'm trying not to pitch it to you. I'm trying to tell you why not to watch it. No, I'm sold. You have sold me on this movie. I'm I'm not trying to sell you. (laughs) It's okay. You don't have to twist my arm anymore. I'm I'm on board. I'm telling you, you don't have to sell it anymore. But you're also talking to somebody who thinks that that Halloween is a boring-ass damn movie and hates it. You think Halloween's boring. (laughs) At least the main antagonist in Halloween is mobile. He walks around. He's ambulatory. ambulatory. You know what? I just I just want to be there. Like I wish I could be there for that pitch meeting with John Carpenter and the and like the producers and the company and just like ah it's a green viscous liquid that's Satan. I'm I'm sorry. (laughs) What? Yeah, there's some physicist students. We're gonna throw math at it. It there's it'll a, be cool. It's fine. It'll be fun. People like, like there's it. A, there's a kernel there that could have been interesting. Of like, okay, what if? Because Carpenter was like, I'm reading a lot of you know metaphysics stuff, and and I was thinking about you know Satan and evil, and what if you could combine the two? And like, that's an interesting idea. That's a cool little nugget. But clearly, no one thought about it any more than that. And then the are you are you, sh- are you sure? that Carpenter's daughter wasn't getting close to dating age. And he's like, how can I teach her that viscous fluid inside of a tube is bad? bad. No, because this was green. So yeah. it'd be, it's sci-fi. You have to change the color a little bit, but you know, you can't just see yeah, exactly. Apparently it came out of a deal. It was a, I think a three picture deal where a carpenter basically got three, $3 million per movie and full creative control. And this is one of those examples of like, even great directors need some restraint. Because th- this is a at best half baked idea. Of, so okay, again, there's an interesting nugget there of, of what if our concept of Satan and evil is really some kind of metaphysical thing and and uh, has something to do with you know quantum physics and it, it's again it, it's applying science to things that are typically supernatural and I can't think of any examples of movies like that that work. Um, talking about Ghostbusters, uh, but it, it's it's. It's half baked. Like that's all they really had is oh, wouldn't that be interesting? Yeah, it sure would. Are you now, gonna develop that at all? No, okay. Here's what would be interesting is if one of those uh quantum physics students accidentally knocked over the jar of Satan and it slimed four adolescent turtles that became teenage, teenage mutant Satan turtles. Yeah, there you go. Teenage Mutant Satan Turtles. No, teenage Sanat- Teenage Satanic Ninja Turtles. There you go. Teenage Satanic Ninja Turtles. Well, it doesn't have the same ring to it. Teenage Satanic Mutant- Teenage Ninja Turtles. 
Satanic teenage tur- nah, teen- there's something else you need in there. We'll workshop it. See, we have a nugget of an idea and we're working <laughs> it out, which is more than someone did on this. It's um, the it's the devil in the half shell. Turtle Satan power. power. Uh, devil power. Sorry, that's devil power. Okay. <laughs> so, so uh yeah, Prince of Darkness, 1987, John Carpenter. And I said this was a twofer. Um just go with me on this. So following this movie, Carpenter got right back on the horse, strapped in, and we got They Live in 1988, Memoirs of, Memoirs of an Invisible Man, I can speak, in 92, um, In the Mouth of Madness in 94, which is a fucking masterpiece, Village of the Damned remake in 95, Escape from L.A. in 96, which I have a soft spot for. And Vampires in 1998, which I also have a soft spot for. And then he followed that up with 2001 Ghosts of Mars. I have that movie. So do I on Blu-ray. Why? It's terrible. Horrible. Not good. So Western sci-fi horror movie about ghosts of aliens on mars who possess humans who were living on mars as miners so they're kind of zombies but then there's some sheriffs that come to town to escort a criminal to the big town for a trial and the town's been taken to ghost town and it's like a western thing and it's look something. genre <laughs> genre mashups can be fun this may have had one too many ingredients it's something. It is definitely something. Uh, I, I have this. I have this movie in my collection. I think it's still in my collection, but for one reason, my dad got it for me for Christmas or my birthday one year, and was like, "I think you'd like it." And All the like, elements are there, right? I was like, "Did you just like look at the cover and read the back?" <laughs> and you're just like, "Oh, Jay like this." Like, wow, it's on Mars and got guns and zombies, and Jay, I love this. I can just see him looking at your mom over the two dollar bin at Walmart. Jay likes this shit, right? This is yeah, yeah, right up his alley, isn't it? This is the kind of yeah. Guy just, all right, cool. Threw the fucker in the cart, and he's like, "Ah, happy birthday, son!" Look at all the people holding guns in this cover. He's gonna love it. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, again, I it feels like watching all the cutscenes from a video game and never playing the game. Because it has this weird narrative element of like, it 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 doesn't really cross cut. It does like flashbacks. And I think at one point we clocked a flashback within a flashback within a flashback. Um, Isn't it's is yeah. LL Cool J in that one? No, no, no. This is Ice Cube, sir. Ice Cube, yeah. Jason Statham in a very early role. Um, um, I can't think of her name. Um, Henstrich, the the lady from Species, whose name I can't think. Oh, she's the main. Uh, Pam Greer is in it. Like it's got a good cast. It's just not good. Yeah. The production, yeah. It's just like I get too many, too many irons in the fire, cooks in the kitchen, whatever. It's like there are so many elements fighting for attention, and it ends up being just kind of a slog. It's a lot of running around empty corridors, pointing guns, and nothing really happening. And and again, it's 
the miners crack open some kind of temple on Mars that unleashes the spirits of dead Martians that take over the bodies of the miners who become zombies, who were led by a lead zombie named Big Daddy Mars. Uh, you have to watch the credits to learn that. And then, uh, yeah, it's it's like, how do you spice up a generic zombie movie? Badly. Legends of the Hidden Mars Temple. <laughs> Better title. Um, $28 million budget made $14 million back at the box office. Uh, in case you're not good at math, that's not good. That's half what it cost. Uh, it, it ended up being uh, the last film Carpenter directed for almost a decade. His next film was, um, was uh, The Ward in 2010, so nine years later. Um, has a 28% Rotten Tomato score. Not good. Kind of generous. Uh, so look, Carpenter, great director. You, I mean, I, I read off the film, basically his entire filmography. The man's got more hits than any one director would be happy to, even if some of them, like The Thing, weren't really appreciated in their time. They didn't become big until years later, but now we recognize it as a masterpiece. Same with uh, In the Mouth of Madness, which I know Commander Scott is with me on. That movie is fantastic. Great movie. Um but there, so yeah, I want to start with somebody big. I mean, we all love John Carpenter. He's done something we all love somewhere in his filmography. But even the best can turn into turkey. So I'm going to shut up now and let one of my hosts take over. Um, who wants to go next? I I can if if that's okay, Scott. If you unless you really want to go. Fine, go ahead. See if I no, can. You go ahead. <laughs> you can go if you want. You volunteer to distribute. It's fine. Go ahead. Okay, so my list goes in um, order of, I guess, egregiousness. So um, I'm going to start with the least egregious on my list. All right, and uh, it's it's I don't want to say it's a stretch, but it's one that I definitely do not I I don't like this movie. So I'm going to throw out some titles, okay, for you. Uh, this person directed The Walk, uh, Flight, uh, Castaway, Polar Express, um, A Christmas Carol, the animated one, uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Romancing the Stone, and, um, obviously I'm skipping one, I'm skipping one that, uh, is kind of a big one. It's it's my namesake. He also directed Back to the Future. So obviously I'm talking about Robert Zemeckis. Okay, you people know who Robert Zemeckis is. They should. If you don't know the name, you know the filmography. Yes. Uh so the one on my list uh is Back to the Future Part Three. Wow. I do not enjoy Back to the Future Part Three. It's blasphemy. It is. It is by far my least favorite of the Back to the Futures, well, and I would rather watch the first one over and over again than the third one. By Scott Books, B O O X. I don't know what B O O X means. So first of all, there is no. Wow, you just went all out. Okay. Uh, so, first of all, there, there is no Back to the Future 3, sir. 
There's Back to the Future 2.5. I just want to know how many more there are. (laughs) So many. It's so bad. All right. It is bad, Jay. It's a visual gag. You'll have to watch it on YouTube to get that. He hasn't even he hasn't even read it, and and he knows it's bad. He's just getting that from the cover. Um, yeah, this movie should never really be watched on its own. Like anybody who's watching Back to the Future Three, yeah, it's going to be a bad movie. Why? Because it's a continuation of another story. It's it's not fully encapsulated on its own. And I actually I, I would disagree with that. It's not a it's even then it's not a bad movie, but like well, Robert Zemeckis, the Bobs are doing a thing here. <laughs> Two and three, you know. Jay, why do you consider it a bad movie? Uh, I feel like it just sort of falls flat in the okay. idea of the time travel thing that they got going on from the first one. Um, they, I know they really set up a lot in the second one, and there's at least some interesting concepts in the second one of, like, if you went back in time and gave yourself access to unlimited funds like what would happen like how would that turn out the third one is just like hey let's do some cowboy antics you know like what would the doc be like in the wild west what would marty be like what would happen if you took a kid from the 1980s and put him in the wild west oh he wouldn't fit in and it was just like a running gag you know what i mean like it's just that gag that just keeps going and going and going and like uh, yeah, for, from then, that perspective, I can see what you're saying. Well, and then the the fact that you know, Doc told Marty to take the time machine back to 1985 and destroy it, and then what's he, he do? He builds another time machine. Yeah, I mean, he's. It's, I can it's, jump on that because that always pissed me off. It's so count like it's. You're just like going back on what you said. Oh. Destroy it. It has brought me nothing well, but pain yeah, and torture. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Let me but, build I mean, another one. Yeah, but but it, when Doc wrote that letter, he had just been zapped back to 1885. He was, you know, he was lonely. He was by himself. He was he was stranded. He was hurt, and he just told Marty, "Look, I don't want you to have this fate." But then by the end of that, Marty has come back, right? So he's been reminded since writing that letter. He's been reminded of what family and friendship is. He's fallen in love. He's rescued the woman of his dreams right at, right at the end. Clara changed history. Like doc grows as a character in that one. The the third movie is the only movie that gives doc a character. arc. Then why destroy the DeLorean at all? No, no, no. He wrote that before. I'm not talking story. I'm talking filmmaker as a filmmaker. You make it a whole point of Marty. The, the time machine is more trouble than it's worth, and you got to destroy it as soon as you get back. If you're gonna have Doc come full circle at the end, and oh, no, it's fine. Why destroy the DeLorean at all? I'm I'm confused. Why do you need to destroy the DeLorean at all? If Doc's gonna come full circle and realize, oh no, the time machine's fine. Don't worry about it. But no one destroyed the time machine on purpose. Marty destroyed the time machine. He tells Marty to do it. It yeah. happens because he gets caught on the train tracks, and Marty says, well, good, Doc wanted to destroy it anyway, or something yeah, along those lines. because that's what he wrote in the letter. It's, 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 it's information the character had. It's, yeah. it's character continuity. 
It's like, well, Doc, it's destroyed. Because that's the last thing he had from Doc was that Doc wanted it destroyed. So, okay, it, it, there you go, Doc, it's destroyed. It's just it's character continuity. Like I said, I'm going in order of egregiousness for yeah, me. I'm with Jay. That, that, that always bothered me. As, as cool as the steam-powered train thing was. I mean, I can get behind that ZZ Top, old-timey country jazzy thing going like rock whatever you want to call it i don't know yeah i'm, I'm sure zz top's version of rockabilly cunt rock a country whatever you want to call it wasn't old timing it's like so out of place with with, with yeah. period it's not old timing but i mean i i, I could get behind it i enjoy the tune it just didn't fit for that time period i agree i just I think that they were, and the other thing that I didn't enjoy is how much they kept trying to shoehorn in Marty, like changing history or creating history, like the frisbee pie thing. Yeah, I I agree with you. That was corny. You know, that was that's corny. it's the those whole, things that I just. Um, I, I found the, the the Clint Eastwood thing was a bit corny for me, but. It it, 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 it it circles back around to the Calvin Klein gag from one. So I can forgive yeah. them on that. It's, I think the biggest problem with... Go ahead, sorry, go ahead, Jay. I was just going to say, it just takes it takes the problem of sequels, like especially comedy sequels, of taking a joke that's funny in the first one and then replaying it over and over again, thinking that it's just as funny the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth time you've seen it. And it, it loses its luster, I think. So yeah, by the time the third movie, by the time you get to the third movie, you're like, okay, oh, he called him yellow. Oh, you know, oh, there's a tannin. He'll get covered in manure. Yeah. So that's why I think this compared to the body of work for the rest of Zemeckis. And again, I haven't seen all of his films, but of the ones that I've seen, because that's how I came up with this, of the ones I've seen of Robert Zemeckis's films, to me, Back to the Future Three is his sort of meh it's definitely the weakest of the trilogy and it's it's like you said like the first movie had all the the inspiration and the great ideas it was a great angle to come at time travel um like the bobs mentioned like they wanted to do a time travel story but it took them forever to figure out what the hook for that for their time travel story would be which was going yeah. back and meeting your parents yeah. by the time we get to three all we have left is callbacks to the first two and tired, worn-out tropes of other time travel movies that we avoided the first time out. Yeah, I, So I we mean, got nothing left, so... I, I agree with you. The, the, the third movie is the weakest of the trilogy. Although, I mean, even, even Zemeckis himself has said that when they made the first one, they never intended to do a second movie, let alone a third. He said if they had, they would have never had the girlfriend in the car at the end of the first one because it just wrote them into a corner that they had to write themselves out of at the beginning of two. Um, and then, you know, and, th and this is something I think we should preface here a little bit with, with this topic is, you know, we're talking about when directors make a bad movie. And I think this is, this is a, a prime example, Jay, is... A lot of times, especially when it, when it comes to movies, there's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of politics. There's a lot of other stuff involved than just the director, you know? So while we're making generalizations, you know, when it came to Back to the Futures 2 and 3, you know, the first one did great. It was over the top. It was phenomenal. Everybody loved it. It was a hit. And then basically, I, I believe the studios came back to the Bobs and said, we want two more. We want to 
we want to break this into a trilogy. We want to complete it out. Give us more movies. And they're like, okay, we'll do our best. So it's not like Zemeckis was like pursuing, oh, I've got to tell this story of three. I've got to do this and, and stuff like that. But, but he still did it. He still did it. It's fine. And I love and, it. And I love three. To his credit, uh, Zemeckis is the reason we have not and will never, while he's alive, get a reboot or a remake of Back to the Future. And we shouldn't. No. And he understands that. And yeah. is until the day he dies, it'll never happen. So. Yeah. Although it did spawn a really great 90s cartoon. Along with Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. And there is the crossover that we need. We need Marty's son and Bill and Ted's daughters in a crossover movie. You know, Bill and Ted, Back to the Future. Or actually, no. But uh, what's the... Uh, no, 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 no. Bill and Ted, Back to the Future, because no one cares about the daughters. I care about the daughters. I think they're good characters. What's the last names? Shit, I can't remember the last names. Anyway, you know what I mean. Ted, Peter, Preston. So, uh, anyway, my, Sorry. Like, like John said, he still did it. You still need a stamp on it. Like, you need a name stamped on it, and his name is stamped on it. So, yeah, directors can walk away from sequels. It happens all the time. So, yeah. for whatever the reasons were for starting it up, he made it so. He so there you go. I mean, Spielberg could have made enough money to never work again in his life if he did Jaws two, and he's like, "Yeah, no, I'm done." So, good pick, Jay. I like it. It's a great example of there's no such thing as a wrong answer. You just got to back up why you didn't like it. Scott, what do you got for us? Well, this this movie has uh, this this movie. I don't like it. I've talked about it. Uh, ad nauseum, maybe not on the air ad nauseum, but off the air ad nauseum over the years, uh, and such. Yeah, yeah, we can just we can just put that down. It's it's okay. We don't we don't. No one needs to see that anymore. Um, no, uh, <laughs> it it's twelve pages. It's not a lot. Um, uh, anyway, um, what was I saying? I don't know. Quit paying attention to me. <laughs> you've you've talked ad nauseum about this movie, yes, whatever the movie yes, is. Yes, uh, I have, I have, and such. And uh, in my opinion, after making this, this guy just needs to stop making movies completely and utterly. Um, so I'm I'm jumping straight to uh, one of my least favorite movies of all time. I'm jumping to The Martian. Okay, and I'm not going to do the rant like The Martian rant. No, I'm sorry. We've done, the rant. We've done the rant on air. It does not need to be rehashed. Hey, every show is someone's first show. So and someone is coming in and has never heard the rant before, Scott. That's very true. But no, uh, this is about, you know, Ridley Scott directed this movie. Ridley Scott gave us some great movies. I can't think of any of them right now because, <laughs> you know, I'm just. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm going to jump in real quick. Hey, go ahead. I also have this director, but not this movie. But. Ridley Scott's movies seem to go into one of three categories. Either they're amazing, fan-favorite, genre-defining movies like Alien, Blade Runner, Gladiator, Black Hawk Down, Thelma and Louise, uh, or they're I-forgot-that-existed kind of flash-in-the-pan movies, stuff like... Um, shit, what was the one I talked about at work today that I can't remember now? The one with Leonardo DiCaprio and Russell Crowe? The Body of Lies? Which is All like right. a 9-11 espionage movie that I, I was like, oh, I forgot that existed. Or 
they're just terrible. I also have, and it's cut off. You're 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 too low. Too you're, you're too you're too low, Matt. You're too low, Cougar. Pull up, pull up, Cougar. I also have him. Yep, that's good. That, We're gonna gang up on him. That that seems <laughs> ominous and but yes, I think. Uh, to just to, to jump in, yes, Ridley Scott when he's on all, firing on all cylinders can make some of the greatest movies we in cinema history. Uh, that being said, Scott. So with The Martian, I don't know if it was a question of Ridley Scott not understanding his target audience for the people who love the book. I'm not sure if it's Ridley Scott not understanding the source material. Uh, if it's a combination of both. I don't know if it was his idea to to adapt this this book uh, or or anything, or if somebody kind of thrust it into his hands and said, "We need this made, and we're going to give it to you." I, I don't know these 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 answers. Um, I will say that, in my opinion, this uh, this film should be taught at film school. Um, no, no, wrong movie, Jay. Wrong movie. Uh, this movie should be taught at film school on how not. To adapt source material. What's in the box? That wasn't yeah. him. Yeah, it, 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 this movie should be taught on how not to adapt source material. And the reasons I cite this is because throughout this movie, there are all kinds of changes from the source material that have no payoff. Makes no sense to make these changes. First and foremost, let, let, let's look at the beginning of this film. All right. So at the beginning of this movie, uh, Mark Watney, played by Matt Damon, and his crew are, you know, they're all on Mars, and they're conducting surface operations, and they're out on the surface of Mars, and they're collecting rock samples, and, you know, you've got Martinez and, and some other you know, lady, I forget who it is, they're, they're trading barbs and quips because one's in the Marine Corps and one's in the Navy or the Air Force or something, and they're... They're trading, you know, oh, blah, blah, blah. The Navy could do things so much better. Oh, is that where we're going? Yeah, they're ribbing. They're giving each other a hard time, you know, and Mark's just kind of there doing his thing. That's the opening to this movie, right? All right, cool. The opening of the book is Mark Watney's first log entry, which is, I'm fucked and I'm going to die. Why do you make that change? Other than the fact that I got to change this, it's got to be my work. I, I don't know. Once again, there's no payoff for it. There's no reason to make that change. Can't, nothing pays off. Uh, then, like, the movie starts on Saul 16, whereas uh, the, 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 the book saw, starts on, like, Saul 7, and, which is fine. If there's a reason you need to make this change so you can make your timeline work in a movie, cool. Nope, there's no payoff. There's no reason to change it. It's completely arbitrary. Yeah. Um, the the rovers in this movie have a crane on the back of them. So in the book, it's the it's the kind of the cockpit, you know, where you where you've got where your your driver and stuff sits, and it's a pressure vessel on the back for cargo and and such. Blah 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 blah. Nope. This movie gets rid of that. Gets rid of that pressure vessel, and we have a crane. Are we doing much heavy construction on the surface of Mars? Or, or, no, the only reason that change is made is because later in the story he has to put uh, an old Mars probe up on the back so he can. That, that's, that's the only application. 
like in the normal applic there's no explanation of their it, actual mission on Mars to justify that crane. Because of all that extra gravity on Mars? Something? Yeah, I guess. I don't know. Once again, no reason. It's a change without reason. Scott. Makes no sense. Get 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 to the killer. Well, and and then, you know, so one of the things with with this movie, with the book, is that and some people may think that the, the book was over the top with the science and stuff. I, I don't, but I'm not a great judge of that, and, and I know that. Um, but this movie throws it out um, because uh, he, he tries to leave jokes in that are based in science but he takes out the setup so that the punchline scientifically makes no sense. Specifically that whole damn excess oxygen bullshit. Once again, not getting into the full rant uh, or anything here. Um, uh, 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 two other things um, that he does with this that just piss me off is that he has a beautiful cast in this movie. This movie has a wonderful cast that is so underutilized, it's not funny. And I'm going to cite three examples here. One is, um, uh, hang on, give me just a second. Sean Bean. All right. So, yeah, Sean, exactly. Sean Bean's in this movie. He's so underutilized, you don't even remember he's in the damn movie. I didn't. So his character, Mitch Henderson, in this movie goes toe-to-toe with the director of NASA in the book. Literally up in his face, pointing at him, yelling at him that he is doing the wrong thing by the crew. And, 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 and everything. And he's full of raw emotion and power. And in one of his most emotional scenes in the book, what does Ridley Scott do with Sean Bean? Here's, here's what we get. You're a fucking coward. And he walks off screen. That's it. Literally in the book, he is he is on the table. He is on the conference room table in the director of NASA's face, and he is like, you're a fucking coward. And what do we get with Sean Bean who can give that performance? You're a coward. And he walks away. Nothing. Goddamn nothing. Um, second, uh, we got, uh, is it Kristen Wiig, uh, I believe, yep. plays the, uh, the, yeah, plays Annie Montrose, the uh, 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 public relations director of NASA, who is there in the book. She is there in the book as the everyday person. She is there to ask the questions. Hey, I, I'm not a science guy. Explain this to me in normal terms. And what does he do with her? He turns her into one of the most cliched, absent-minded female characters ever to grace the screen. She has no meat, no bones, no nothing. You could strip her out of that movie and nothing changes because he neuters her character completely and utterly. All we get from her performance is, I'm a girl and I don't understand. That's it. Feminists should have been fucking outraged. At, at her performance, not her performance, because it's the actress's performance, but at her utilization in this movie. Whereas in the book, she's a strong female character. And then third is, what's his name? Ch- 
Chiwetel Ejiofor? I don't know how to pronounce his name. As the Martian director. In the book, he's Venkat Kapoor. Okay? He's Hinduist. He's an Indian. Dot, not feather. And... Yeah, I know. I'm horrible. (laughs) I refer to that as a push button, not a pull start. (laughs) The opinions of all the hosts of this show do not represent the opinions of all the hosts on this show. Please direct all hate mail directly to IHateJohnStamos at gmail.com. Um, but he's Venkat Kapoor. You know, he he's he's Indian descent and everything else like that. And what do the filmmakers do when they put it on screen? Oh, we're gonna shy away from that. We're gonna rename him Vincent. Vincent, because we don't want to lean into the whole fact that he's Indian and he's Muslim and 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 or I'm sorry, Hinduist and and all that good stuff. You know, uh, so they just wash over all that. Like <sighs> once again. Every alteration that's in this movie makes no sense. There's no there's no payoff for it. There's no reason for it. It just serves to take a great story and tell the bare bones like I, I don't know. It's it's like a whitewashed version of it. It's it's horrible. It's just it lacks every every humor moment, every bit of Mark Wallaby, Mark Wallaby, Mark. Um, Mark Watney's personality is stripped from this movie completely and utterly. Like, this adaptation should be taught, once again, as a master class in how not to adapt source material. That's... Yes. I, I actually like this movie. Have you read the book? No. That's why. That's why you like the movie. Because all you know is the shit version. It's like people who only have Mego blocks and say they like them better than Lego. I don't know. Just from my perspective, as somebody who never read the book, I don't hate this movie. I enjoyed it. I liked watching it. I, yes, there's some bad science in it. I I will there's agree no with that. I will agree with it that there's bad science in this movie, but after, at the at the end of the day, I'm watching a movie to be entertained, and I was entertained by this movie. It's not entertaining. This movie is perplexing. Like, like when 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 Rich Purnell is 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 is, is explaining the the thrust burn maneuver to get um, I'm trying to remember the Ares. Anyway, the name of the spaceship to get the spaceship back to Mars. When he's describing his thrust maneuver to the director of NASA. He has to take a pen out of his pocket and fly it around the room like a little spaceship. And a lot of people go, oh, well, he's doing that for the audience's standpoint. Yeah, there's a whole character for that. It does fuck all in this movie. I'll give him credit for one change I thought they were going to make that they then didn't. Is most of the movie I was because the as Jessica Chastain plays the Expedition leader, captain, whatever the the person in charge the mission, on the, the mission, shit, yeah. and she's dead set about getting back to Mark, and we have to save Mark. And I was really, really afraid they were going to wedge in some kind of bullshit romance between the two, which they didn't do. They didn't, no. But I really felt like the first two thirds of the movie—that's where they were going with it. So, yeah. But I, 
Scott's not wrong. If 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 you read the book, the the movie is a colossal colossal letdown, and an unnecessarily colossal letdown because it's like so many of these changes are just completely arbitrary. Yeah, I, I'm with Scott. Like I don't understand if it's if you change something because it makes the movie more visually interesting or it streamlines the story or it, uh, uh, hammers home a character aspect you want to elevate that wasn't huge in the book, but you want to focus on that. There's plenty of reasons to make changes when you're making an adaptation. All the changes in this just seem completely because. Yeah, I I, I don't get it. Like, and I, and I didn't I didn't want to do the full Martian rant because there's a lot of other stuff going on. I wanted to focus in on the directorial aspect, uh, the, the the directorial shortcomings, in my opinion, uh, of this movie, and those are the big ones that that, that I get is just unnecessary changes, underutilization of characters and actors. I felt like he phoned this in. I, I honestly felt like he was sitting at home most of the time on Skype going, yeah, let me see the feed. Yeah, yeah whatever. I'm going to go back to Minecraft, you know, and, and shit, you know. We'll go back to ruining Prometheus. Oh. Poor Prometheus. Um, let's keep the hate train rolling. Travis is going to love this episode. Um, we all have Ridley Scott down as a director. Did, did I read that message correct, Jay? Oh, wow. Yeah. Let's go on the Ridley Scott hate train. Here we go. Here we go. Round. So first up, we hated the Martian. Yep. Second. And again, I want to stress this with, I'm so let down by this because Ridley Scott is such a great, capable director when he's properly motivated. Uh, he also has a apparently a bad habit of getting very, very distracted by his own research. <laughs> Sorry. I'm kind of a big fan of Robin Hood. I don't know if anybody knows this or not. I don't really advertise it much at all. Uh, kind of a big Robin Hood guy. So I was over the moon when I heard Ridley Scott was going to do a Robin Hood adaptation. Because I'm like, oh, dude, that'll be awesome. Because uh, he does some awesome period pieces. And that'd be great. And then Russell Crowe is going to be in. I'm like, oh, this did everything was coming together great. Trailers came out. And I was like, oh, this is like gritty, kind of more... Uh, realistic bend on the Robin Hood mythos, a little less uh, fairy tale story, a little more grounded how maybe it could have happened. Because again, Robin Hood, not a real person. Uh, so you, you have lots of creative freedom with what you can do with the character. And then in 2010, I went to the theaters to go watch Robin Hood. And I didn't see a whole lot of Robin Hood in that Robin Hood movie. I, I saw about one scene of Robin Hood in the actual Robin Hood movie before it becomes a weird historical fanfic about the creation of the Magna Carta? Yeah, yeah. Complete with a, a French invasion of England <laughs> that never happened using medieval Higgins boats. <laughs> so even if you could say, well, Ridley Scott started out making a Robin Hood movie and then started doing his research into medieval times and, and got sidetracked by trying to make the movie a little more historically based and fit the, the mythos of Robin Hood into a historical context, and he just got distracted by that. Again, he then throws in a completely made-up invasion, uh, so it's not even remotely historically accurate uh, as much as it claims to strive to that goal. There's one, one scene 
the movie starts out fine. It's Robin and his buddies in the Crusades, and it's kind of how he meets them, and some shit happens. We see the, the death of King Richard, which is a cool little twist on the usual Robin Hood trope, which is he's trying to hold the line back home in Europe until Richard comes home to take over for John. We get the inverse of that. From the start, we know Richard's dead. So Robin goes back, and he's impersonating a nobleman, and decides to use his power as a nobleman to kind of help the people. And we get one, one scene of him being Robin of the hood, stealing from the rich to give back to the poor. And then we are off to the races of this weird, who he really is uh, taking the nobleman's place and, and being on a council of noblemen that led to the uprising against Prince John to institute the Magna Carta and, the whole time it was like to quote the great Ian Malcolm to paraphrase, you do plan to have Robin hood in this Robin hood movie at some point. Yes. No, um, no. I've never seen this movie. So okay. for a long time, I would have said it was the worst Robin hood movie ever made, but they found a way to do it even worse a few years later. Um, so it's now my second worst, like on the, on the, the scale of Robin hoods, you get, Adventures of Robin Hood with Errol Flynn from 1939, which is complete just the story of Robin Hood. Doesn't give a flying fig about historical accuracy. It's just here's the story, the legends of Robin Hood on screen in sparkling technicolor. Then you get Prince of Thieves with Kevin Costner, which is kind of one foot on each side of we're going to tell the stories of Robin Hood, Friar Tuck and Little John and all that. Um but we're going to place them in a little more historically accurate context of, of when, if Robin Hood was real, because he wasn't, if he was real, what was going on in the country? How could we kind of, again, it has one foot on each side of that. It doesn't lean so far into we want to be historical, we forget to have fun and just tell the legends. Then on the opposite end, you have the 2010 Ridley Scott, which doesn't give a fuck about telling a Robin Hood story and goes way off into the deep end of historical accuracy until it fucks up the historical accuracy because medieval Higgins boats. Yeah. It sure looked cool <laughs> saving private Ryan. Sure it did. Yeah. I feel like he didn't have kingdom of heaven worked out of his system yet when he was making this movie and, and he just couldn't get out of that mindset of, of making this giant historical epic of, no, it's, it's fucking Robin Hood. Just, just make Robin Hood. There well, you go. There's mine. Well, I mean, when this movie came out, I was excited to see this movie, but I was also coming off of 2004's King Arthur with Clive Owen, which is also a terrible movie. It's not a terrible movie. It's terrible not the, movie. It's not. Hang on. It's not the best King Arthur movie. In my opinion, the best King, best King Arthur movie is still Excalibur. Yeah. Hands down. Hands Sword down. in the Stone. Sword in the that's, stone. Close, that's a close runner-up, but he's not yeah. King Arthur until the end of that. So, um, um, well, uh, you know, if, if if you watch if you watch Sword in the Stone and and then uh, Excalibur a bit and kind of marriage them a little bit, you get really close, really close to the Once and Future uh, King. To Once and Future King, but you know, if you know the the whole. Uh, truth behind the legend of king arthur thing with the with the, with the roman pull out and the saxon invasion you know for the germanic invasion of, of of britain and everything tying in history to a king arthur story i liked king arthur and not just because i like ian garuffalo and everything he does and i loved him as lancelot but you know I, I enjoyed that movie 
So I was looking forward to this. I was looking forward to a, oh, truth behind the legend kind of thing. Even though you are right, uh, Robin Hood never existed as a single person. <laughs> Robin Hood never existed as a single person. It is a collection and hodgepodges of myth and legends and stories over centuries that just kind of got compacted, you know, in the crucible of, of time as, as uh, Robin Hood. And I watched this movie. And at the onset of this movie, I was like, oh, this is actually, I'm, I'm digging this. He's in the Crusades. You got that great scene. Act where, one is good. Yeah, act, yeah, blah, blah, blah. And then we, he gets back and it's, wait, he's not, he's not Robin? Okay, cool. But wait, the, we're going into the Magna, the Magna Carta? Okay, that's nowhere near this time. Okay, and yeah, it just goes in six different directions at once. And <coughs> yeah. It has think. one of the worst tacked-on endings that I feel like was a complete studio mandate of he's finally at the ass end of the movie declared an outlaw by Prince John and you just one shot of him and his merry men walking off into the woods and it cuts to not quite credits but like storybook kind of like turn the page and it says and the legend begins. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> Yeah. Not since, and I don't mean to step on toes here, but not since that bullshit uh, Deacon chestburster thing from Prometheus has there been a more pointless fan service tacked on fucking ending. Which I think might be a segue to Jay's. Jay? So I also had Ridley Scott. Yeah, Jay. What? Yes, Jay, show us on the doll where Ridley Scott touched you. We've shown you. <laughs> Mine's a twofer. Oh, shit. Uh -oh. It's not just a one for it's a two for it. All right, it's let's related. go. <laughs> so we go where this going then? My favorite, one of my favorite Ridley Scott movies, one that was introduced to me at a very young age on USA at like midnight in my basement. Wait, was this USA up all night? I, I don't know. It was just on probably. Like, I was gonna say I, if, was, I gotta know if it's Ronda Shear or if it's uh, Gilbert Godfrey. No, it was just like randomly. It wasn't Joe Bob, and that's all that matters, Scott. Uh, yeah. So anyway, uh, the movie I'm talking about is Alien, 1979. Great movie. Love this movie. I have a copy of it. It's awesome. Uh, Landmark Captain movie. Dallas. I, Captain Dallas is like, he's my guy, you know? Uh, anyway... So how excited was I? How excited was I when I found out that Ridley Scott was doing an Alien Universe movie and that we were going to finally get an explanation of what that ship was doing on the planet? How did it get there? Let's figure this out. Let's go back. You know, let's give the Alien fans what they want. What is this Jesus story doing here? What is this creation of man story doing? What is this going on? Who, is the, who are these people? This is, wait a minute. This isn't LV-426. This is not the right LV. What, what, what are we doing on this planet? What the hell? Where did this, what do you mean engineer? What the hell's an engineer? What the hell is going on? The oh Prometheus? What's this thing? Yeah. Oh, shit. Who the hell's David? What is he? Where, Why is he important? Where'd who go? Why can't Charlize Theron turn? When running away from a ship that's <laughs> crashing. Okay. Right. Just, you just keep going straight. Ridley Scott did me dirty. <laughs> he did me so dirty in that movie. 
I was expecting an alien origin story. That's what I was expecting. That's what it was sold to me as. That's what the previews printed it as. They showed it as. You got that scene of the guy. Like, you're like, okay, was this black goo somehow responsible for the xenomorphs? No, it's not. It's not at all. Well, then who is responsible for the xenomorphs? Goddamn alien covenant. That's a one-two dick punch. If you ask me, you go from Prometheus, which just sold us short on this origin story, to all of a sudden now we're in Alien Covenant. Oh, hey, there's going to be a xenomorph. No, but first there's a neomorph. What the hell is this neomorph? I don't know. It's just this crazy alien thing. Oh, invented by the synthetic David who has a twin in this movie, which is going to turn out to be a plot point later. Oh, my God. <sighs> Sorry, I, I went on a tangent. <laughs> I'm going to follow you down the rabbit hole, Jay. Yeah, all we wanted to know was, why was that ship on that planet with those eggs? Three questions, that's all we needed to know. And the entirety of Prometheus doesn't even attempt to answer those questions. The goo, is that where the aliens come from? No, no, it's not. But at least at the end of Prometheus, there was the thought of, well, maybe, because this film didn't answer a single goddamn fucking question. Maybe it came from them. I don't know. We'll have to wait for a sequel. Maybe. We don't know. There's no answer. This movie has does not care about giving us any answers. And what's this giant sort of face hugger thing that, like, got on the engineer? Like you said, fan service at the end of the movie is like, look, see, it's an alien, sort of. And then that has absolutely fuck all to do with Alien Covenant. As we, soon as we're in the briefing and they say the planet is LV-223, I'm like, oh, that's that's not the right planet. But again... You guys are going the right way? You're in the right system, LV. But, uh, yeah. Prometheus didn't give a shit about answering any of those questions. And then we jump to, to Covenant, where, okay, Prometheus ends on the biggest cliffhanger of all, which is uh, Shaw and the head of David get on an engineer ship and fly off into space. So... Open territory. Okay, where can we go? What can we do? Can we finally answer? Maybe now she's going to LV-426. Maybe now we'll see what happened. No, we start the movie, and where's Shaw, Jay? She's on the home planet of the engineers? She's fucking dead. She died off camera. Between movies. That too. But they're on the home planet of the engineers? Is it? Is it? I don't fucking know. Nobody is it says, our home planet or is it another outpost? Because the movie doesn't tell you. Nobody tells you. The Nothing. Neomorph came from the goo, which makes the Xenomorph completely uh, obsolete. If little spores can get in your ear and shoot off into a Neomorph, why do we need facehuggers and eggs in a, a Xenomorph at all? At all. We've completely amplified the, the Xenomorph. And what the what the hell was the little Xenomorph hail to the leader arms extended thing after it burst... It, it, and am I remembering correctly? There was no chest burster phase. It burst out as like a baby little Xeno. Well, that's the chest burster always was meant to be that. This was just more of a refined version of that. Because the chest burster does then grow up into the full Xeno. So Yeah. But, but I mean some like, of the worst some of the worst CGI I've seen in I don't know how long. Alien, a movie full of great, amazing practical effects. The chest burster is one of the most infamous scenes in cinema history, and we're going to recreate it in Covenant. And how do we do it? Shitty-ass CGI. And need I, I don't think I need to throw this out, but I'm going to throw it out. 
one of the most disturbing, awkward, useless scenes in all of cinema is when the two friggin' what are they, androids? Is that right? Is that correct, Scott? Artificial and, person. Uh, artificial people. One of them is playing an instrument. You just blow. I'll do the fingering. I because mm, mm. David wants to fuck himself. Oh, so, so such a colossal waste of amazing actors too. Every single one of those movies. Sorry, go ahead, Scott. So Jay, remember how when I was talking about The Martian, and you're like, I like it. Yeah, there's a phrase that comes to mind, which is "turnabout is fair play." I like these movies. I'm fine with these movies, partly because I don't really get two shits about why that 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 ship is on that planet. I don't care. It doesn't bother me at all. I don't care. I don't care if we never get an answer to the to why the ship is on that planet. I love the idea of the engineers. Once again, I'm not saying that you know the movie is without flaws, but I like Dave. I like his twin brother, whatever the fuck his name is, because I don't remember Walter. Thank you, Walter. You know. I love David and Walter. Uh, I, I love the engineers. I love the story that, that, that's being told. I'm all about this. I'm fine with it, Jay. I, I love it. the idea of these movies. It's it's fine. Like, Prometheus, okay, I will say this. Had Prometheus been a movie in the Aliens universe that was not promised to alien fans as being the answers to those questions then I would look at it differently. But it was sold to us that way. Well, it may have been sold to you that way. It wasn't sold to me that way because I saw no advertisement for this movie before I saw it. I, did, I, did, I When I saw when I went into this movie, I didn't even know it was in the Aliens universe until we got pods. That's when I figured out it was... I didn't know. I did not know this was in the Aliens universe. Sometimes I forget Scott lives under a rock. You know, because I saw no advertisement campaign. I saw no trailers. I saw no nothing. And I watched this movie, and I'm like, oh, this looks yeah. interesting. Oh, cool. Every okay. bit of the ad campaign was pitching this as, literally, the music in the trailer was from 79's Alien. Every shot, every frame of this movie that has anything to do with Alien, like the 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 spacecraft and the, the anything that was remotely Alien-esque, they the, threw the, it. The way, the way the trailer is cut is verbatim the way the alien trailers cut. Okay. The giant stone carving with the xenomorph on it, but xenomorphs don't exist yet. Like a like a Xeno Messiah thing that we never came back to. Yeah. Uh and then Scott, this one probably this probably irks you though in Alien Covenant. You land on an unknown planet, <laughs> unexplored, completely new to you, and you get off the ship wearing safari hats like no masks no no protective gear well just... yeah sometimes i will have to admit in movies i my head cannon has to fill in certain things and between the cut of them landing and the cut of them getting out of the ship i have to assume it's an assumption but i have to assume that they did some preliminary like you know like there's something on the ship that tells them at least the atmosphere is pressurized and breathable but but also, you know, we both like a movie where people get out of a spaceship in, you know, inside of an asteroid in uncompressed space with just a air mask. No well, question. technically they were inside a creature. Did it? They didn't know that. And also that creature has an open mouth. It's not pressurized. Maybe it can 
close its esophagus and pressurize hey, it. Hey, 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 keep your science out of my Star Wars. I don't know how many times I have to tell you this. <laughs> so anyway, to answer your question, Scott, uh, Ridley Scott touched me in two different places <laughs> on the doll. Um, both equally horrifying and terrible. It's a perfect example of the whole Ridley Scott gets distracted thing. Because the original two or three drafts of this movie, Jay, the, the first couple of scripts, were exactly what we were told. It's an it's a prequel to Alien about how that ship gets on that planet with those eggs. And when Ridley Scott came on board and then brought in his own writers and fired the original writer and brought on Damon fucking Lindelof, the guy who ruined Lost. Uh, and by ruined, I mean built up and then ruined Lost. Because uh, he read somewhere that it's better to have science fiction where it leaves more questions open than it gives you answers. Apparently, he thought that meant questions like plot, character. Everything. Everything's yeah. a question. Not existential questions like where do we come from, why are we here, but stuff like how does that? How does David know how to use alien technology he's never seen before? How can he speak to that alien who we've never heard speak before and can't know the language of? Because it's those sort questions. Of, it's sort of what, what was it the. Um, like an ancient, what I say, Jewish language was that yeah. the the explanation? Oh, There's no explanation in the movie. No, no, no I, I saw the episode that explains this. He sticks his head into an ancient machine, which grabs it, and it downloads a bunch of ancient information to his head. He then has to seek out the Asgardians. Scott, 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 Scott. You're thinking what? of Stargate. Star, what? Yeah, you're thinking of the Stargate episode with O'Neill. Yeah, no, no. This is Prometheus with a, an android. Sorry, synthetic human. Is that not what we're talking about? No. Oh. So we wouldn't I yell mean, at anybody about that. But yeah, no. I, <laughs> I could spend I could spend a long time describing all the things that I hated about Prometheus and Alien Covenant, but I think I hit most of them on the head of what yeah, I really hate. So. Yeah, you know, you know the 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 uh, the 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 me attempting to be humorous, notwithstanding. Um, uh, this is one of those situations because, in all honesty, you know, Prometheus and Alien Covenant didn't bother me that much because, I, and and I, I mean this in all seriousness, uh, I going into the movies, I knew that they were in the Aliens universe. I was exaggerating for comedic effect there; it, it didn't work, but I tried. Um, but uh, uh, I, I wasn't expecting those answers because I did not see. The, the the marketing campaign and I didn't I so I wasn't caring if we I was just looking for oh it's it's a new story in the aliens universe that's all I went in expecting oh yeah when when so. So my expectations were so high for Prometheus because like I literally watched every trailer that got put out for Prometheus and like I looked I like read stuff about it same with Alien Covenant as soon as I saw a preview for it I was like yeah and then I just kept feeding into that and so my expectations well, were very high we were also so high because Ridley Scott did Alien 79 Cameron did Aliens in 86 and since then the Alien franchise was kind of in a mess 3 was a whole mess of a movie and a production and whether you love it or hate it, it it's, it's, it's the lesser of those three films Resurrection came along and was just like the fuck is this so to have Ridley Scott return to the alien universe was huge because this had been rumored for decades and finally it was happening. And I have a love hate relationship with Prometheus. 
I can't call it a bad movie. It's terrible as far as it does not answer any of the questions the marketing told us it would answer. And I will say, Ridley Scott never said he'd answer those questions, but the Fox marketing department sure said he would. I think Ridley Scott tried to warn us. Um, but Prometheus is still a gorgeous movie to look at with a amazing, if completely underutilized cast. I mean, Idris Elba's there, and name one fucking thing he does. He, he loves the one he's with. There you go. He you sure does play that. Huh? You know the song? Yeah. Yeah. He's singing it as he goes to bed with Charlize Theron. Oh, okay. Off screen. Off screen. <laughs> um, Covenant's a whole different story. Covenant is like the worst case of studio compromise because it's like Act one and Act three are just a generic alien movie. And then Act Two was like, oh, here's Prometheus 2, crammed in the middle of this generic alien movie. But yeah. So that's uh have we have we beat up Ridley Scott enough? I think. I think, so. yeah. I think so. I think so. Okay. <sighs> I'm I'm sure the man is sitting at home right now listening to this going, well, thank God that's over. Yeah, yeah. God, really drinking the cigars. Drinking his cigars, drinking his cigars, smoking his scotch. He just for, in a blender. <laughs> for the record, uh, he was last on my list of egregiousness. So to oh, me, wow. he was okay. the most okay. egregious of the. So. Well, then let me toss one out there. Because this is another director who has a really great resume. Uh, and I think is a very good filmmaker, but he 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 picked a subject, and it's a case of someone just biting off way more than they can shoot. Um, Oliver Stone, who gave us classics like Platoon, Born on the Fourth of July, JFK, two thousand four. Jay, I know there's some anecdotes here. Alexander, you know this this popped up in some of my research, and I I'm trying to remember if I ever watched this movie. It clocks in at 175 minutes. That's just shy of three hours. Um, it's, again, a collection of name, dates, and facts presented in a way that gives you absolutely no dramatic emphasis. It's just, he went here and did this, and he went here and did this, and he went here and he did that, and then he rested. And then he went here and then he did this, and he went here. It's it's not a movie. It's like watching a really well financed uh, history lesson in school. Like when your teacher would roll in the video card. Here we're gonna watch this video today, kids. It's a really well produced History Channel docudrama because there's no actual dramatic emphasis in this movie anywhere in the entire three hours of it. Um, good. Why do you keep trying to sell me on these movies? I mean, first you give me, you know, Prince of Darkness, and now you give me this awesome movie called Alexander, which is no. just a history no. lesson on Alexander no. Great. No, it's awful. Info, and an info dump. Yeah, it's, it's boring. I mean, it's I love, so boring. I love info dumps. Oh my God, it's so boring. I, I went to go see this in theaters with one of my best friends, Bob, and my brother, Brian, my oldest brother, Brian, went and, uh, Bob's sister Michelle went and the four of us went to go see this movie and I just remember sitting there like not even halfway in probably not even a quarter of the way in and I'm just like 
what is this? Why is this happening to me? How long is this movie? I still have to be here. Hang on a second. Hang on a second. So, so I've not seen this movie. I'm looking at it on IMDb, and I have not seen it. But you have Colin Farrell as Alexander. Yes. Yep. Alexander the Great. Ask who his mom is. Colin Farrell. His mom is Angelina Jolie, right? Yes. Yes, because we could totally see Angelina Jolie giving birth to Colin Farrell. Yeah, uh, things get a little uh, Oedipal. This wow, very, uh, <laughs> very Oedipusy. Uh, <laughs> Oedipusy. Yeah. yeah. Wait, hang on. Wait, See what wait, you did there. Wait, hang on. <laughs> there it is. There we go. Uh, had a budget of 155 million, only brought in 167 million worldwide. That is not good. As a uh, 16% on Rotten Tomatoes, and look. If there's no sure sign than a director realizing I done fucked up, since it's released in 2004, there have been not one, not two, three director's cuts of this movie. <laughs> in 2005, we got the director's cut, which trimmed it down from 175 minutes to a slim 167 minutes. Wow, a whole eight minutes, huh? Then the revised final cut in 2007, which was Oliver Stone is saying, fuck it, and putting everything in. It clocks in at three and a half hours. I want to watch that. I know you do. Uh, And then in 2014, for the Blu-ray release, we got the ultimate cut, which is 206 minutes. So he cut four hours. So, so hang on. I got. No, yep. I'm yep. Gonna, gonna make a little bit of a side detour here. How how many cuts of this movie do we have now? Four. Four. Theatrical director. Theatrical first director's cut, rev, uh, revisited final cut, and ultimate cut. And ultimate cut. How many cuts of uh, Blade Runner do we have? Four official. Four official. What do you mean by that? There's some like bootleg fan coach okay but okay so four official damn so they're tied all right all right guys we we need to have we need somebody needs to break this tie i need yeah blade runner has u.s theatrical european theatrical uh director's cut or work print cut and then the ultimate cut uh from whenever it came out on blu-ray do you do you have the ultimate cut of alexander no i don't own any version of this movie I saw this movie a grand total of one times, and that was in theaters. And I said, "That's enough. I don't need it anymore." Oh no, the Please. final 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 cut is the three three and a half hour. Yes, Please, yes, no. that's the one. The longest one is the revised, sorry, revisited, revisited. final cut. Revisited Please. the final cut. Please stop. Nope. just stop. Uh, look, he's a great filmmaker when he has the right subject matter. Um, this just was not the right subject. It's the Blu-ray of the revisited final. The uh, I'm sorry, Alexander revisited the final cut. The yes. return that is the, the three and a half hour version is is twelve ninety nine on Amazon. It is going in my cart right now. Of the last, I'll tell you that right now. That's how Scott's going to spend his weekend. <laughs> <clears throat> well. I'm going to spend mine reading Whispers from Wavering Hills. Oh, God, no. A, a fine module for the Call of Cthulhu uh, uh, no. uh, roleplay game. 
which you can get your own copy of print on demand oh. at uh, drivethroughrpg.com only four ninety nine. That well, gives you both this amazing physical and a digital copy. Sorry, Jay, go ahead. I was I was gonna fire off another one if, if yeah do it let's okay. go yeah um so this one uh, I'm gonna tell you this this director is a big name big name you stamp his name on a movie and people are like yep I'm gonna go see it and it works uh, and usually they don't falter usually they're they're pretty good usually they turn all all right and I might get some pushback on this one but again this is an essay topic R- Rowan Atkinson. As long as I can defend it, right? Rowan uh, Atkinson? <laughs> as director? So first I'm going to throw out the name of the director. <laughs> yes. Steven Spielberg. Whoa! Whoa! <laughs> okay. Next I'm going to throw out the name of the movie. War of the Worlds. Is, the, is this the Tom Cruise version? Tom yes. Version? Eh. <sighs> okay. Here's here's my problem with it. All right, go ahead. Okay, here's my problem with it. It's very boring. It's okay. it is a very very boring movie to me to watch. Like thematically, okay, yeah, there's some cool stuff going on, but the best action sequences in an alien invasion movie that came out in the 2000s happened in like the first like what 30 minutes when the like when the tripods all of a sudden pop up in new york okay it's been a while it's been a long time since i've seen and just start zapping people and then it's it turns into and and again i understand thematically and what he's going for it turns into a like downfall of humanity, like sort of breakdown of just being decent human beings type situation, right? But also it's like he's with his kids from his divorced wife and he's trying to get them back to Boston. And so then you have this this like discontinuity of relationship between Tom Cruise and his kids where he doesn't really understand his kids because they've been living with the mom and they're like leaning on each other. And then all of a sudden the sun just disappears over the edge of the hill. And he's like, I have to see this. And like, there's no context. And then at the end of the movie, at the end of the movie, there's the sun is back. And he's like, I survived. I did it. And like for the grandparents are there. The mom's fine. The stepdad's fine. That entire neighborhood is not even decimated. It's like, oh, it's fine. The tripod never even walked this direction. Like that's. Now, I'm with you, Jay. It's a flawed remake because the original is damn near perfect. Yeah. That being said, I think your biggest problem was you were expecting Independence Day. Well, to be fair, I think at the time this movie came out, everybody was expecting independence. And everybody is a fucking moron. <laughs> Just saying. Because War of the Worlds is not an action movie. No. no in any way, shape, or form. It's a radio drama. It should never That's be presented it. as anything but. Got that on yes. CD somewhere. But what audiences are expecting 
what what I was expecting and the expectations set from previous, I guess, forays into this from Steven Spielberg, I I would expect. So, 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 so two things here real quick I, that I've got to say. First of all, you are the last person that should be complaining about a lack of context. <laughs> I'm just saying. Yeah. Second. Yeah, you can give me that disappointing look all you want. Second, I hate the misuse of the word decimated. I hate it. God, I hate that. You know that you know that little thing that you 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 got me on with the use of the word and when talking about you know numbers because and indicates a decimal point, which is fair. It's fair. And but you made the statement that the the, the, the neighborhood isn't even decimated. Decimated does not mean destroyed. You're a math teacher. Deci- decimated means to reduce by one-tenth. Means if there's ten houses on the block and they destroy one, it has been decimated. In his defense, not a single house has been mated. <laughs> it's, it's true. <laughs> Nothing has touched this neighborhood. That whole neighborhood is pristine. Yeah. But still, at the same time, it's just a pet peeve that people substitute decimated I, for destroyed. I get it, but uh, like you guys, like you said, I just have to defend why I don't like it. That's why I don't like it. I just perfectly fine. Uh, it again, it's it's a flawed remake because it it's one of those movies where it's like why? Because the original from nineteen sixty whatever is fantastic. It's one of the best movie sci fi movies ever made of of that era or otherwise. It was a little hefty for them hey let's remake it especially you know in a post independence day world i I see where you're coming from jane i see where a lot of people were coming from because independence day cribs a lot from war of the worlds so it was almost kind of like ass backwards like like doing hobbit after lord of the rings kind of thing if the story was never that but because the expectation is now at that level because of independence day we now expect War of the Worlds to be more like Independence Day, even though it, it's not and it never was. I understand where you're coming from. It's like uh, it's like the day the Earth stood still. I never saw the Keanu Reeves remake of it. That one wasn't terrible. It was biggest flaw was it's forgettable. But I just uh, I don't know. I have it. I have a copy of War of the Worlds. I don't think I've watched it in a long time. Not where I thought you were going to go when you said Steven Spielberg. So no, and I doing research. Apparently, one that comes up a lot is Hook, which, which I was like, I don't get we'll that. you all day on that shit. Yeah, I don't understand that either. Yeah, I to was me, doing research that kept popping up Hook as well, and I'm like, what? I love that movie. Critics at the time hated it, so it kind of goes down as being a. And even Spielberg has said, been on record as saying he was disappointed by the final final outcome that being said any kid who grew up watching that movie fucking loves that movie yes and and like i said my my biggest thing is like with this was yeah that i think it was sold to us as an action movie like if if i remember the previews a lot of it was based on the action yeah a lot of explosions and running and tripods and yeah and then this whole character like there's like no character development at all, I don't think, through Tom Cruise's character throughout this movie. And then you throw in, I didn't even bring this up, but you throw in that weird Tim Robbins scene. That's my favorite part of the whole movie. 
where they're in the farmhouse and the tripods coming and the aliens looking through. And, and, and the reason I love that scene is it's a, a, there's a sequence like that in the original movie and in Spielberg's, it's that scene with Crank to 11. There's another yeah. scene where they're hiding in a farmhouse and it's looking for them. Um, that's the old, that's my favorite scene of the whole movie. But that, if you just took that chunk of the movie, like that, that part by itself, that is entertaining. But when thrown in the context of the rest of the movie, you're just like, what? Yeah. All I know is that while the original is a great movie, um, the be all end all remakes for for uh, uh, War of the Worlds that, that that has ever been and ever needs to be is Spaced Invaders. I'm just saying. Spaced Invaders? Oh, God. If you've never seen that, you need to. Did, did, did I introduce you to that movie? No. Oh, okay. No, I, so I, remember, I remember bringing it to Danny's. Yeah, no, I've watched it. You've never brought Spaced Invaders to Danny's. We didn't watch Spaced Invaders to Danny's. No, we did not. No, because I love that movie, and 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 I would remember watching that Danny's. We have not watched that Danny's. I had to find a, a DVD copy because it wasn't on Blu-ray anywhere. I don't remember watching that. Let's we'll do it again because I love it. Okay, that. Halloween. One of my favorite Halloween movies of all time. Yep. Anyway, uh, yeah, Spielberg's got some stinkers on his list. But that's not where I thought you were gonna go, Jay. But that's yep. that's that's fine. It's fair. It's all Scott. What else you got in the barrel? I got one uh, more. I don't really have much else. That that was the one that really came to mind. We discussed the idea of directors gone bad because I I've watched a lot of Ridley Scott and I like Ridley Scott, but then he gave me The Martian and I decided he should cease to exist. But um, uh, there is one that popped up in my research as um. Uh, except I don't I don't have it uh, up here. Right. Oh yeah, um, and, and 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 I'm I'm afraid. I just I don't I don't know where to start with this one. But director Terry Gilliam. Who do we all know Terry Gilliam? I mean, we know him from Monty Python fame. Jay, do you know Terry Gilliam from Monty Python? Directed, you know, uh, of course, he's with Monty Python. He directs great stuff like 12 Monkeys, uh, The Adventures of Baron Munchausen. Uh, they do Time Bandits. Time Bandits. Yeah, he's done great stuff. Um, I'm not sure if he did uh, A Fish Called Wanda or not. I'm not sure. I'd have to look that one up. But anyway, apparently, and I didn't know until I was doing my research, that he did The Brothers Grimm in 2005. With uh, Heath Ledger's in that, right? Heath Ledger and, and Matt, Matt Damon. Damon, yeah. Yeah. Like, God, that movie is horrible. It's a more but, boring version of Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunters. Yes. Yeah, and I don't even really care for Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunters. It's okay. It, it's not Because you bad. don't like great movies? Sorry. <laughs> it's not bad. I mean, you know, watch it. It's good. I don't I don't love it. Like, you know, I don't, I don't you know, blah, 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 blah. But... I don't know. Like I, I watched this movie back in the day, and I, I was, I remember just being, because it felt like it was one. If you know what I think, this, this, the Brothers Grimm, uh, excuse me, um, suffers from, and and I call that the Shakespeare in Love syndrome, where they, 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 they're trying to make a movie where the whole core premise is like, hey, 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 this, this is a great idea. What if the author? really had all the stuff happen to him type stuff. 
you know, the Brothers Grimm. Yeah, all the stuff that they make stories about, it actually happened to them. Yeah, that's a dumb idea. It's been a dumb idea. It is a dumb idea. It will continue to be a dumb idea. Don't ever do this. Almost as dumb as doing the true story behind the legend. It, it is. It's an overused trope, uh, you know, that, that yeah, I, I agree. It, yeah. Yeah, sorry. When, when the you legend it, begins. <laughs> and then the legend begins. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you said uh, the Shakespeare and Love Student Row. I thought she meant it, it took Oscars away from more worthy movies, but okay. <laughs> well, that was just a side effect. But I was like, surely that movie didn't win any Oscars. Uh, yeah, I feel like this one was like on paper. It sounds like a cool idea. Like, hey, it's it's about the brothers Grimm and they fall into being kind of monster hunters and it's Heath Ledger and Matt Damon is directed by Terry Gilliam. Like if you write it out on paper, it's like, Oh, that could be interesting. And then you watch and like, wow, this, this, this completely failed the execution. Yeah. Or I've never seen this movie. So you're better off. Watch Hansel and Gretel witch hunters instead. Well, Hansel and Gretel. If you have the choice between these two movies, watch that one. Yes. Uh, John, I also have one left. So if you have one, go left, for it. I also have one left. Or did go you want to go? Go for it. You sure? Yes. Okay. I guarantee you don't have this one on here. So. All right. So I'm gonna I'm gonna throw out some titles. Okay. Batman. Batman Returns. Uh, Edward Scissorhands. The hang on. TV's, TV's big adventure. Hang on. Hang on. If you're about to go where I think you're about to go, I'm gonna fight you. Let's see how far down he goes. Okay, so we're at we're at Edward Scissorhands. Is that where he left off? Right. I mean, there's a long list of movies on this director's uh, list that are really good movies, except there's one very glaring pimple on that list, and it came out. The director I'm talking about is Tim Burton, and it came out in 2001. Okay, we're good. Okay. And that movie starring Mark Wahlberg is The Planet of the Apes. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, we're good. Yeah, you're fine. Where'd you, you think I was going to go? Sir. Where'd you think I was going to go? I thought you were going to go Mars Attacks. Oh, no, no. I love Mars Attacks. Yeah, yes, yes, I, I was going to fight you. Mars Attacks is a great damn movie. No, I would watch Mars Attacks every day, all day. I- over Planet of the Apes for sure. Apparently oh my god. <laughs> I I remember seeing Planet of the Apes in theaters and I was just like what? I know. No, I know. No no uh, no Roddy McDowell. I know. I get it. Yeah. And I I was so confused not just from the plot and not just from the terrible acting but like the plot twist choice at the end of Ooh, apes took over the planet Earth. And you're like, wait, how? They were just secluded on this one planet. How did they all of a sudden take over Earth? But it's time travel. Yeah, but, but he... Like, I, so I don't like the Mark Wahlberg Planet of the Apes, but it... it no follows, one does. I mean, but it still follows the same core premise is that he time travels to Earth's future. He doesn't no. realize it, and you don't. No, he time travels to a different planet and then goes through a wormhole again because he gets on a ship again, crash lands in Washington, D.C., gets out of the ship and 
Lincoln, the Lincoln Memorial, is the the ape from the planet he was on. Oh, in that case, it's been a long time because I don't remember that. It, yeah. It's almost like they cared more about the audience being like, what? Than it making any sense at all. It it wastes some very good talent in the cast. Chris Christopherson. It wastes Tim a Roth. story. It completely wastes the the whole remake. It's such I, a bad movie. <laughs> it's it's, it's bad. probably why the next time they did Planet of the Apes, they completely disregarded this movie and just started over again. Yeah, the, like literally the next time they did Planet of the Apes, it was in San Francisco. How did the apes actually take over the planet? Like, it's the origin of Curious George and the man in the yellow hat. Yeah. Jay. Yeah. Summer of 2001, I was a very lonely boy. I had just moved to Kentucky. I had like one friend in the entire state. And here I thought my refuge would be the movies. There's a big theater like 20 minutes from where we live in, 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 at that time. Now there's one a lot closer. There's a few a lot closer. Uh, and I can go to the big screen and watch one of my favorite directors remake a sci-fi classic. And man, this looks so awesome with the modern special effects and the new makeup and stuff. And and then I watched the movie and somehow I was even more depressed when I walked out of the theater <laughs> than before I had walked in because I was like, everything sucks now. <laughs> the world is horrible and everything sucks now. Uh, it was like when we went to go see... Um... That movie that I can't remember from the French director. Oh, God. With the, the morphing lady dancer. Alien. Mimic? No. Oh, God, John. Valerian in the City of a Thousand Planets? Yes! 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 I walked out of that movie like, oh. We both did. Cool. We were both pumped. We're like, oh, dude, it's... it's uh, um. Yeah, the guy that did Fifth Element doing the, the, the comic adaptation of the movie that inspired for the, the sorry adaptation of the comic that inspired Fifth Element. And this looks so cool. And then we got to the movie. We were both just like, is anything going to happen? Because I'm kind of bored here. Sure, it looks pretty, but. Uh... Uh, so, yeah, my, I felt like my list would not be complete if I didn't include Tim Burton, because, man, Tim Burton's got some to quote the youth today, some real bangers. Um, But he's got some real stinkers too. Yeah. And this is one of them. This is the dark shadows remake. I'm not a fan of Edward Scissorhands. I think that I'll fight you with that might be Tim Burton's most Tim Burton movie. It's it's most Tim Burton. Yeah. It doesn't make it good. It's very boring and just cliched and annoying as fuck watching that damn movie. I'd rather see a director get to do their vision of an original story on screen than watch them horribly butcher a beloved movie from the past. I, I grant you At least there's true. nothing. Yeah, Edward Scissorhands didn't ruin anything like it, pre-existing it or yeah. It didn't. Yeah, no. Hurt the franchise for a decade. <laughs> but Planet of the Apes certainly did. I mean. But, Think about how long nobody touched that franchise. Because when did the next Planet of the Apes come out? In it was the, the 2000s. Teens. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, yeah. 
the 2010, 2010 yeah, 2010 years. I was, I'm pretty sure I was out of college when that came out. Yeah, the Mark Wahlberg attempt to uh, uh, jumpstart a new Planet of the Apes franchise failed horribly. Thank God, because I don't know what they would have done for a sequel to that shit. So, uh, All right, last one on my list. We're getting a little long in the tooth here. An- another director whose who's work up until this film, I loved. And I was like, this guy is awesome. He's going to be like the next Steven Spielberg, like he did one of my favorite uh, uh, B movies of all time. It's a movie I still love introducing people to deep rising. He followed that up with the absolute fucking masterpiece. That is 1999's the mummy. He stumbled a little bit with mummy returns. I hate mummy returns, mm. but, but I was like, that's fine. Okay. little stumble. It wasn't the worst movie I've ever seen. I just didn't really love it. It's okay. Cause his next film sounds awesome. Let's take the guy who did 99 Mummy and let's give him the keys to all the Universal Monsters. Talking about Van Helsing from Stephen Summers. Oh, God. Not since probably Tim Burton did Planet of the Apes have I seen a movie so completely missed the point. Maybe Pearl Harbor. that, that's that's the one that opens with him uh, chasing down uh, Mr. Hyde and has yep. the prequel cartoon or something. Yep. Tries and to it's show. all downhill from there. Yeah. Yeah. But hey, I, that repeated I, crossbow. That repeating crossbow. God, even when I, the first time I saw that in theaters and I watched that repeating crossbow and I'm like, how is that working? I don't get it. That makes no sense. I was, I can't tell you how stoked I was for this movie uh, in high school when it was coming out. Because I like Steven Summers is awesome. Uh, this was, this was, um, I can't think of his name now. That Wolverine. Hugh Jackman. Thank you. This is Hugh Jackman, kind of fresh off Wolverine. Kind of like, here's a, he, he's going to spin out and become like an action star. And here's a, a big franchise. And Universal was all behind it. And, and now he's going to get to play with Dracula and Frankenstein and the Wolfman. This is awesome. And and the rumors <laughs> of like you know Universal wanted to build a whole franchise out of this. And we'll bring in all kinds of other classic Universal monsters for sequels. And, and big action movie. Great, huge special effects. Like, this is exactly the kind of movie High School John. I was like, take my money. And then the CGI sucked. The story was dumb. The acting was dumb. They completely missed. They completely rewrote the entire character of Van Helsing. He bears zero resemblance to the character that Bram Stoker created. And even though I knew from the trailers, because he's got you know a trench coat, very uh, 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 Matrixy, and the hat and the repeater crossbow, like all right, we're bending the definition of what Van Helsing is. We're turning him into more of a monster hunter. Uh, he's he's a younger version of the character. Okay, fine. I can get on board with that. Okay, cool, fine. And then there's the whole like, oh, your name is Gabriel. And you're really a werewolf for some fucking reason. And that's the only way you can kill Dracula is with a werewolf. And I'm like, what? The, the, you're, you're fucking up the mythology of two people now. Because <laughs> no! Yeah. The, the, uh, the my favorite bit of trivia about this movie is Universal Studios in either Hollywood or Florida, I can't remember which one, had space in their theme park earmarked for a Van Helsing attraction because they were sure this movie was going to blow up huge and become the next big franchise. 
Really? Ask ask me how many Van Helsing attractions exist at Universal. Is it zero? It's zero. There is are it, zero. Is, is it three? Is it three? I feel less, like it's less three. Than, less than three. Less than three. Less than three. Five? L- less than less than five. L- less than five. Oh, I see a Bobby. Uh, yeah, I wow, dude. I was. And, and this is one of those like I was. It's so bad. I was in denial. Like I, I saw it twice, and then I bought it when it came out on DVD. Because I'm like, no, nah, dude, I gotta give this another chance. I'm thinking of being too harsh on it. And I'm just like, no, this sucks. Um, I'm just gonna interject real quick. I'm gonna blow both yours and Scott's mind you know, for just a second. Um, you know, John, you said five is not less than three. Technically, five could be less than three if you're talking about modular arithmetic. Because Stop doing math right now. Stop. Wait, 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 wait. wait. Hang on, time out. I want to hear about modular arithmetic. I'm curious. So, I've never heard this term before. Because of modular arithmetic, five can be less than three because if five mod three is actually two. But what do you mean by modular arithmetic? I don't, I don't know the term. I don't know. So modular arithmetic is um, basically how we tell time because so modular arithmetic is you're using remainders. yes yes thank you you're using remainders to describe the number so five mod three is actually two because okay the remainder gotcha. is two gotcha it's, so it's like, like it's it's like quarter till five is 15 yeah. minutes yeah yeah three three mod three is zero because modularly three is there's no remainder for three Three, uh, four okay. mod three is one. Sounds five, like a stupid way to do math, but okay. Five mod three is two. So, and then six mod three is zero. Okay. Wait, so wait, technically, no, six mod three should be three. No, six mod three is zero because there's no remainder. But if you, if you subtract three from six, you have a remainder of three. Oh, no, division. Six That's how you get it. remainders is with division. But six divided by three is two. Yeah, exactly. And there's no remainder. But five divided by three is uh, one and two thirds. That's a fucked up way of doing math. I'm going to tell you that right now. <laughs> so modularly, <laughs> five can be less than three if we're talking about mod three. Anyway, sorry, Jeff. So Stephen Summers shit the bed with Van Helsing, uh, and I was going to talk about how he followed up that up by shitting the bed on GI Joe, but we had to stop and talk about modular math or some bullshit. So that's out the window because we had to talk about goddamn math. Nine mod three is zero because I'm, no, shut up, stop it, no more math, stop yeah, because, because you got three modules of three, so there's no remainder. So it's either zero, one, or two. Yes. So like mod four is either zero, one, two, or three. But four mod two should still be zero, right? Yeah, four mod two is zero because four divided yeah. by two is two. No remainder. It's two. There's no remainder. Yeah. Yeah. But if you're talking mod four, so like seven mod four is three because the remainder is three. Seven mod four. So if yeah. you divide seven by four, you get one and three fourths. One and three fourths. The remainder is three, so seven mod four is three. And what is this telling us? 
Like, 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 why do we do this math this way? Scott, if I, if I, I don't fucking remember... know, Scott, why do we do this? If why? I could remember, if I could remember why we needed, why I needed to learn modular arithmetic, I would tell you, I would, I just remember it from college and I was so blown away by it. And I was like, this is amazing. And so like, I like to use it every once in a while, bring it up to, to do what I just did. Right now, I'm just loving the fact that John is Obi John is completely just exasperated with us and hates us. He's cursing our very <laughs> right now for discussing this as long as we have. Quick, John, tell me what's twelve mod five? Who fucking cares? This is a show about directors making bad movies, or at least it was. So that's our list, folks. Those are the directors. Good directors gone bad. We're holding grudges against in the movies we refuse to watch even though maybe they redeem themselves later. What do you think of our lists? Um, let us know in the comments. Is there anybody you would have put on here? Uh, our condolences to uh, um, Christopher Nolan. We just didn't have time to get to you today, but uh, next time we'll talk about how every movie you've made since Dark Knight has sucked. Um, sorry, since Inception has sucked. Uh, didn't have time today. Sorry. Uh, until next time, this has been your weekly Nerd Alert. I'm stopping now because if I let them talk again, we'll get on math.